God. And in Christ's name, amen. So we're starting a new uh, short series. I forget, I, I forget if it's four or five weeks long. I don't know. But it, it's going up to uh, the, our Easter thing. And uh, so we're going to be studying different little personalities. Not little personalities, but personalities. And uh, we're going to start today with Moses. Uh, Moses and what did I call it? Moses making wise choices. I forgot the title. Um, but we're going to go from Hebrews 11, and then we're also going to dip into Exodus chapter 4 as well. So Hebrews 11, 24 through 26 says this, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Amen, right? So Moses, if you don't know the story, I'll tell you a little bit about him. The great leader of the Hebrew people who brought, uh, brought them out of the bondage of Egypt and into the promised land, who, who received the law at Mount Sinai. The first 40 years of his life he spent in Pharaoh's house, right? Allure, uh, you know, enjoying this luxury and all this kind of stuff, instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, right? The next 40 years, he spent in Midian as a fugitive from Pharaoh because of a little rift there. And then the last 40 years of his life, he was devoted to leading the Israelites out of bondage in Egypt to the promised land. So he goes back to Egypt and takes his people out and leads them out of this. And, and one of the, he's one of the great figures in all of history, right? A man who took a group of slaves under difficult circumstances and molded them into a nation which has influenced and altered the entire course of history, right? He even appears uh, in the transfiguration of Jesus representing Old Testament law and alongside Elijah representing Old Testament prophets. You remember that story. Even the nativity story of Jesus parallels uh, the mosaic story of an infant deliverer being rescued from this evil earthly despot, right? This this, uh, person that's trying to kill them. Remember, Jesus uh, was born under that same thing, that same sort of a scenario. He was born to slave parents in Egypt under the rule of Pharaoh. And at that time, Pharaoh was concerned about the rising number of Hebrews. So he ordered that all male children, all male Hebrew children be killed at birth, right? So Moses' mother had him in secret and hid him in the reeds of the river in a basket and, you know, kind of sent him out there hoping that he, someone would save him. And he was found by Pharaoh's daughter, actually, who raised him as her own. She felt bad for him. So he's like this child growing up in an adoptive home. Not, not many of, of us realize how that makes you feel. And as a younger man, he was tormented internally in some ways, and he was mo- even mocked by his own people, a man that was between two identities and with considerable insecurity about himself. And we know this because later in life, when God calls him to advocate before Pharaoh for the sake of the Hebrews to let them go, he argues against God as to his own abilities, right? If you remember that in uh, Exodus chapter 4, although God promised his presence, promised his words, showing Moses all these incredible miraculous signs on the spot that he could use to, before Pharaoh, Moses still argue, argued uh, God to send somebody else, right? He said, what if they don't believe me? What if they don't listen to me and, or, or, or listen, listen to me and say, the Lord didn't appear to you, right? Like he's kind of all whiny. Oh, pardon your servant, Lord, right? I've never been eloquent, right? 
Neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant, I am slow of speech and tongue. You ever feel like that? Right? And all this follows very quickly on the heels of that divine meeting where the the bush wouldn't burn up. Right? That was kind of crazy. That would have kind of inspired confidence in me, but apparently it didn't in Moses, right? But do you know how frustrating that is to any leader, let alone God, to have someone say to you that you know can do the job, to have them say, oh, please, no, don't ask me, I can't do it. Send somebody else, right? Especially after you've shown them how they can do it, you've given confidence that they can do it, and you've given them all the backup support to do it. That's very frustrating. Not me. Please send somebody else, right? I didn't ask anybody else. I asked you, and for very good reason. There's a reason I asked you, because I trust that you can do it. Sometimes faith has to be ground into people, right? It has to be forced into us. It has to be pressed into us. I remember one time when I was... Uh, just a lay leader in the church, and I had a conflict situation with somebody. I had to really had, had to confront something, which is never fun to do, right? And my, I called my pastor, and I was trying to pass the ball off to my pastor. Well, you're the pastor. You should handle this. And he was on the other end of the phone, and I said, dude, I, like, you know, maybe you could do this. He's like, no, you'll, you'll do okay. Click. And I'm like, what did you do that for? Like, but he had, to, he had to grind that into me, that faith that I was able to handle the situation. I didn't feel like I could, but, I, but he told me I, I could, right? See, Moses didn't see himself for what God saw him to be, at least early on in his life. He never really says no to God outright. He was obedient despite his insecurity, and God was even provisional. He gave Moses a ministry buddy, right, somebody to go along with him. He was kind of angry about it, though. It says the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, what about your brother Aaron, the Levite, right? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you, and you shall speak to him and put words in his mouth, and he will help both of you speak, and I will help both of you speak, and I will teach you what to do, and he will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so that you can perform signs with it. So God never lets him off the hook. He doesn't let him off the hook. And Moses never really outrightly totally says no. So, the, so one decision leads to another in his life, building confidence and building effectiveness into Moses' life, which God still uses today, right? We still, he's still using this story in our lives and in the world today. Proverbs 14.12 reminds us God's direction in our lives takes absolute precedence as it leads to life. It says there is a way that seems right to a man or a woman, but its end is the way, but its end is the way to death. There is a way that seems right to humans, but its end is the way to death. Right? Very true. Moses had the opportunity to deny his Hebrew background and live totally in the power and the luxury of, uh, of, of all that in Pharaoh's home and that palace. It would have just been as simple as a decision. Keep walking. Don't pay attention to what's going around you, on around you. Don't do something about it, right? Just look the other way. It would have been that easy. And it's these small, seemingly insignificant decisions that we make that are born out of conviction and character and under the direction of God's word and God's spirit, which make all the difference to us 
and all the difference to the people around us when we make good choices. If we follow our insecurities and fears in life or the empty promises of our pride or or sin's temptation, they all lead to death. They all lead to death. Maybe not always physical death, but death in some way. Death comes in many forms, doesn't it? If we choose pride and unforgiveness and anger in a relationship, death comes to that relationship, right? If you choose to follow a fleeting sexual urge outside of your marriage, death comes to your marriage. Even if you don't get divorced, there's something that doesn't come together in your marriage. Even if they don't know about it, there's something that happens to your marriage. If we choose laziness or physical comfort over hard work, there's a career and financial loss. If we choose to overindulge and treat our bodies badly in addictive ways, there's a death to our health and a loss of vibrant life. If one chooses to ignore the urges of the Spirit in our lives in ministry towards others, we miss out on the experiencing, on experiencing the joy and the healing and the new life that somebody else can have and seeing God work and seeing miracles. You remember looking for the red BMW. We miss that. We miss that. And those are just spiritual axioms. They're just truths. They're just the things that are unavoidable in life. All of us experience it, right? God's direction is always, always, always the way to go. Always. No matter what you're facing, (laughs) don't let your own mind defeat you from the very beginning, from the outset, don't say, say to yourself, well, I'll give in this time because I'm going to give in anyway. <laughs> Don't we always feel like that? We're looking at a choice and we're like, ah, I'm, ne- I'm, ne- ne- I'm never going to do well at this. I just might as well give in, right? No, that's the moment of truth and victory. I like uh, AA and NA. They have that, what, I, I forget the, the, the sayings, but they like live in the moment, right? That's, that's the, the, the mentality. One day at a time, Right? Just do it. Do the, make that decision right now. Make the deci- decision in the moment to be obedient to Jesus right now. It's always the best decision. It is always the best decision. Put down the bacon double cheeseburger. Don't worry about the next bacon double cheeseburger, right? How you're going to respond to that one. Put down the vodka right now. Don't th- worry about the next vodka that's going to tempt you. Say yes to Jesus right now and pray for that person on the spot or share the gospel with that person finally. Just do it once. Don't worry about how they're going to respond to you. Don't worry about the next time and how you're going to respond the next time when you're faced with that opportunity. That's the opportunity that you're faced with right now, right? Moses could have taken the easy route in decision-making, but he didn't. He didn't. He wanted to, (laughs) but he didn't. And he learns outright obedience over time as he sees the hand of God move in one decision after the other. And uh, his faith is built up as his relationship with God deepens through simple obedience, simply saying yes to God over and over again. And the decisions we make define us. And they have a profound impact on the lives of all the other people around us. You make a difference way farther than you even realize, right? Remember the butterfly effect? Well, if you don't, I, I, I won't waste my time. Well, you, believe me, your impact goes far. <laughs> I, I, I tend to add things, then we're here for 50 minutes. So, uh, 
But we make, <laughs> we make decisions every day, don't we? All kinds of decisions. We, we say here at 6 8 that everything is spiritual, spiritual. Every decision, every action, every thought, every commitment that we make, everything, our finances, our stuff, my car, my house, everything is a spiritual thing. Everything is spiritual. And some of our decisions relate to very important aspects of life and faith, and they bleed out into the lives and the futures of other people around us. How I live my life affects my children and affects you, right? I want to be a blessing. I want to be a change agent in the world. I want to be that person. That, I want to be the Bible that nobody has ever read before, Right? So we're setting our minds today on God's purpose for our lives in his mission. Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission, right? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Amen to that, right? And surely I am with you all the way to the end of the age. Jesus is right here with us, right? The Great Commission, the great call of the church, that thing that we're all supposed to be about, his last command becomes our first concern. Our very first concern. And we've set up this church in all that we do so that it would drive to that. Through our community groups and our community partnerships that we work in. We want to explore the principle of missional decision making and how to live in light of God's glorious mission in this world. That's what we want to explore And this chapter uh, in the book of Hebrews bears witness that decisions made in faith honor God. Decisions made in faith honor God. So I'd like you to prayerfully consider right now your own heart and your own context. I want to take a minute and just prayerfully call upon the Holy Spirit and ask him to tell you how important is your life and your decisions in light of his kingdom. I'd like you to do that just really quick. Close your eyes and, and lift your hands. Just hold your hands up. It's not magic, by the way, but it does show God that you're willing to receive. And I just want to pray you into this, and I want to give you a few minutes to, let, to, to hear from the Holy Spirit. Let me just pray for us. Holy Spirit, come. I, I pray, and I, I believe, and I know. I, I don't just believe. I know you are present here, and I know that you want to speak to every single person in this room right now. Whether we receive that or not is on us. So speak right now. Remind each person in this room of how important they are and their decisions are in light of your kingdom purposes. Amen. Amen. You ever take time to ask the Lord those things? It's encouraging when he speaks to you. Maybe he didn't say a word to you. Maybe you feel like you couldn't hear anything. That's okay. Keep practicing that. You will hear from the Lord. I guarantee you. He wants to speak to you.
So here are some points to think on. Number one, Moses was a game changer. Moses was a pivotal person in history, wasn't he? Everything hinges on this guy, it seems like. But Moses didn't live in a vacuum of influence from others, right? He was surrounded by people who, who also, in their obedient decisions, helped Moses to fulfill uh, God's purpose in the world, right? For instance, what if his parents had succumbed to the fear of Pharaoh? What if they didn't act in faith? What if they chose to abort their child in concern of their own safety? People have done this thing, these things in the world, right? Hebrews 11.23 tells us, By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. I love that, not afraid. They were not afraid of the king's edict. Moses' parents' decision to obey God and protect him uh, resulted in the short-term loss of their son to Pharaoh's daughter. They were living under the very real threat also of death in protecting their child. They really were. And they could have tried to keep hiding him, by the way, right? Instead of releasing him to the protection of God, releasing him into the hands of God, they could have been the helicopter parent, always protecting, never stepping out in risk, keeping their child cocooned away from, from never seeing the sunlight of day and, or having opportunity for healthy growth and development and all that kind of stuff. They could have denied their child was God's with which to deal, right? They could have uh, held him back, but they didn't. They didn't. Moms, speaking to the moms, can you imagine releasing your child into the water in a basket covered with pitch? Can you? Can you imagine that? No, you can't. You won't even let anybody touch your baby if if they don't have hand sanitizer on, right? You cannot imagine that. I couldn't imagine that. I'm not picking on the moms. As a father, there's no way I would want to do that. It's crazy stuff right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) People in Moses' life made strong godly choices, living in faith risk, which furthered God's kingdom. And once Moses grew up, he, he chose to suffer along with God's people instead of living it up in the palace. What are we afraid of? What are we afraid of, right? What holds us back from saying yes to God? What fear stands in the way of your fulfillment of God's desires? My daughter went to Uganda this semester. (laughs) See? See how it already hits me. She went to Uganda. It's spooky for me. But I know God is doing great things in my daughter over there in Uganda. It breaks my heart when I talk to her on the phone, breaks my heart. But if I inserted my fear, she wouldn't experience all, experience all that God has for her. She wouldn't if, if I stood in the way. Kim and I are right now being approved to be transitional foster care parents for kids that are separated from their parents at the border. I'm 52 years old this month, right? I'm 52 years old this month. Do I have the energy for this? And by the way, they don't, these kids don't speak Spanish. And my Spanish, solo se un poco. Solo se un poco. I only know a little. That's about all I know. I know muy and, you know, grande. And, you know, I don't know. Abuela, abuelo. That's about it. That's all I know. I don't know that much. But it seems like God would have us try this. It seems like God is calling us to be a blessing in this way. Ministry is frightening for me. Ministry is very frightening. If I really think about it, I try not to, right? 
Think, think about it. Praying, praying healing over people, that's nerve-wracking. I can't control the Holy Spirit. And when I hear something strange from the Holy Spirit and God says, say it to them, Jason, what if it's wrong? What if I look like an idiot? What if I pray for them and they're not healed? Oh, right? I carry around as a pastor traumatic burdens of of the people that I pastor, and I have to trust that God will move in those stories because I don't have answers for you. (laughs) Sometimes I have to say things from the pulpit or in, in ministry to others that are unpopular and culturally not okay. That's hard. I don't want to have to do that. I am less than adequate. And I am painfully aware of that fact. I'm not insecure, but I am less than adequate. No one is adequate but Jesus himself for this ministry. But all we fear is fear of self because he goes along with us. Right? Amen? Amen. Number two, life circumstances may be somewhat unfair, right? Everyone wants to, win, wants to win the lottery. I know, I know, you're lying to me. If it goes up over 300 million, if you don't go buy a ticket. I know almost everybody in this room buys that ticket, right? Everybody wants to win the lottery. Everybody wants to break, you know, get a break. None of us would normally uh, say no to an opportunity which has dropped in our lap and seems to benefit us so greatly, right? You've got to understand, Moses won the lottery, Moses won the lottery, plucked out of the water by Pharaoh's daughter, right? Dropped in the lap of luxury for the rest of his life. All he had to do is play his cards right. It's like a baby being dropped on the doorstep of Windsor Palace and Queen Mother you know, stumbles over the basket and she goes to get the paper. Oh, look, a baby. Bring the baby inside. You know, that's how she sounds. It's a perfect, that is a perfect, perfect impression of her. I met her and that's how she sounds. I'm lying. I have no idea how she sounds. But, you know, like she wouldn't pick up the baby. She would have the butler pick up the baby, right? Come in and spend your life in royalty. That's what she would do, right? (laughs) He won the lottery. He could have said, oh, well, obviously God is blessing me right here. Look where he's put me. Look where he's put me. He could have looked at it through the eyes of his own individual, you know, desires and wants and all that, but he didn't. He didn't. He was willing to give it all up. He saw himself firstly as a child of God, a person of faith, an influencing member of the, of the family of God. He acted not to his own interest, but to the interest of God and the interest of others to do what was right and good, to follow the purposes of God. See, decisions determine the steps we take. Decisions determine the steps we take. Moses' actions in identifying with God's people demonstrate he places the eternal above the temporal. The eternal above the temporal. So are we willing to forgo something which, we know, which is so tasty and comfortable and satisfying for the sake of God's purpose in the world? Even our own preferences to follow what he says is good for us. Are we willing to suffer the arrows of accusation and ridicule and loss of opportunity or worse for the sake of the gospel. Number three, I think it's number three. <laughs> the decision which, Moses, which made Moses to have to leave Egypt uh, and the comfort of Pharaoh's care was to stand in the way of a Hebrew being beaten by an Egyptian guard. And it was a decision uh, 
which swiftly brought the death sentence on Moses from Pharaoh. That's why he had to leave. But Moses reckoned that his sacrifice was worthy of the cause of justice in God's eyes, that he stood up and he stood between. He was an advocate. How valuable is the gospel to us, right? How valuable are the things of God to us? I'm not saying, I'm not asking these questions to make you feel guilty. That's not the purpose. If you're feeling guilty, that's not from me. That's not from the Lord. But there may be some joyous conviction that needs to happen. There may need to be a challenge in us, right? What price would we be willing to pay in order that God's story would reach the nations, reach all people groups, right? And his purposes be complete in this world. What are we willing to give up for that? Or are we just about the American dream and go to church? It seems to me that this, this was a simply a natural outpouring of who Moses was as a person, right? You know, he, we're starting to see his courage and his character emerge for the things of God in him. Although he's still a little wimpy and whiny at this point, right? He's, he kind of started off on a slow jog, right? Um, number four, following God's purpose means we'll need to discern which path to follow in the highways of life. We really will. We're going to come to a fork in the road. Do you like my slide up there, the fork in the road? I love that. I didn't make it, but I stole it. Um, it's public, public domain, right? If it's out on the, yeah. Well, we won't worry about that. But anyway, um, yeah, so, so it means we're going to need to discern which path to follow in the highways of life, right? Although issues of the past may have led us to our present circumstances, right? We see that Moses' choice uh, for God's purpose illustrates we have a responsibility to apply our minds to God's wisdom right now. No matter what, where we've come from, now is the moment we're looking at now and into the future. We have a, a chance to respond to God's wisdom. We have an opportunity and a need to seek not only the knowledge of God, but also the experience of his leading in our lives as well, which is a process that is fraught with risk and mistake and sometimes some pain and some uncomfortability, uncomfortability, if I said that right, right? It's incongruent with the mature spiritual life to only know about God, be all knowledge up there, right? But not seek his direction in all things we do. To be in conversation with him. To profess Jesus in word, but not confess Jesus in lifestyle. To do church, but not to be church, right? To say you go to church instead of living as the church. There's a very big difference. What does God want for all of us? God wants Matthew 28. 18 through 20. He wants great commissioned Christians who are going out and making disciples of all nations and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that Christ has commanded us. He wants people deeply committed to the gospel and to one another, devoted to his purposes, living out of his will and his direction at all times, making decisions to follow him in all ways, people of holiness and spiritual depth, committed to truth, not just in word, but also in deed. People not tripped up by all the arguments out there, but convinced of Jesus, convicted of Jesus, and all that the church holds as truth together in unity. People who disciple others 
and who are deeply passionate about drawing all others outside of Jesus into Jesus, closely into the life of Christ together along with them. People making godly decisions who realize that everything is spiritual. Not just going to church on Sunday morning. Everything about me and my life and this world is spiritual. How do I apply this? Firstly, realize, realize, realize that our faith decisions impact generations to come. Your, your faith decisions ripple out to everybody else around you. They make a difference to people, right? Christians must have a long-term outlook and view obedience in that light. We have to. Rather than seeing everything for short-term personal benefit, we have to look at the long-term impact of of our, our thinking and our choices and all that kind of stuff. Secondly, the eternal always trumps the temporal. Thinking about the future, right? Choosing to follow in obedience will always be the best option. Always, always, always. Even if it doesn't feel comfortable at the moment. So here are a few challenges for you. Ask yourself, firstly, what have I inherited from those before me in terms of faith issues? Maybe your past church, because this church is perfect. I I didn't know if you realized that. We are perfect, no. Um, What have you inherited from those before you in terms of faith issues? Maybe your past church, maybe your family, maybe your friends, maybe your acquaintances, maybe your work buddies, whatever it is, right? What have you inherited that's not really helpful. In a few moments, I want to ask us to go to prayer again. And, and, and we want to ask the Holy Spirit to identify aspects of our journey which might be a hindrance to God using us in the future, right? What's standing in the way? Maybe it's family stuff. Maybe your family always looked at everything with a crooked eye. Maybe they, 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 they Im- Im- impress certain things into you that are not helpful for your your faith. Maybe your family is filled with fear and unwilling to take risks. Maybe you had a trauma when you were a child. Many of you have. I know this. You've had a trauma when, when you were a child and your life whirlpools around that. Can't get out of it. Maybe your friend groups have never been ones to encourage your faith and actually mocked it. And so you always feel like you can't be Jesus around them. Maybe you've lost your desire. Maybe you just simply feel dry and you need God to recover it for you. Secondly, what aspects of God's purpose requires your immediate attention and obedience right now? Right? How's God been calling you deeper into obedience? Maybe you need to finally, maybe firstly you just need to ask that of him. Right? Maybe you haven't even been thinking about it. Maybe you've been indifferent right? But maybe you need to finally share the gospel with that neighbor or that coworker or friend. Did you know that 50% of the unchurched people in America are favorable to an invitation to church, even though they don't go to church? That decreases by 1% every year, by the way. So start doing it now when they're still favorable. Who knows if these statistics are correct? But I think we do make the mistake of thinking that everybody's not, not for this. Do you know Many of my neighbors came to that party last Saturday. Amen. First, I, I joked with my one neighbor. She's like, oh, thank you so much for inviting us. We had such a good time. And I said, well, now I've just got to get to you to church. And she laughed and she said, well, we're just a bunch of heathen over here. I'm like, well, maybe not. 
Maybe not, <laughs> right? Don't make the mistake of assuming that people don't want to hear about your faith. And by the way, you know, somebody will say to you, well, don't just invite them to church. You've got to witness to them. Well, of course, but invite them to church is a good thing to do, right? They can, they can come here. They can belong before they believe. I just said that to somebody yesterday in a text message. They're like, I don't think I can really believe in Jesus. And I'm like, dude, just come on, hang out. Just let it rub into you. Let it soak into you. You'll, you'll get there. Believe me. You can't deny him. Like, and, and they were like, I, maybe I will. Maybe I will. You can be praying for that person. I won't tell you who it is. But. Maybe you need to map out your neighborhood and start praying and begin to pray for your neighbors. Maybe you need to finally get into a community group because you, you realize that you're in a church, not just with community groups, but of community groups that that is really where it happens, that growth happens much more strongly in the intimate atmosphere of a small group where you can chew and mull on this stuff together with some people in conversation. It makes a big difference. The, 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 exponential, the growth goes up exponentially in people's lives when they're a part of a community group. That, the research does show that. Maybe you just need to start showing up to something. Maybe you need to make church a regular thing, Right? How do you build muscle by only going to the gym one day a month? It doesn't work that way, does it? How do you build spiritual muscle if you only go one, once a month, twice a month? You know, you hear people like, oh, I go to church. How often do you go? You know, every Sunday? No, oh, well, maybe like once a month. Well, you're a church. You're committed, man. Woo! Right? You're really committed. I'm not, I'm not busting on you. Maybe I am. But, but you've got to realize it is incongruent. It doesn't make sense. Right? You've got to be here. You've got to be here to wrestle with things, to think about things, to get it ground into you, to talk about things, to pray through things with each other and all that kind of stuff, right? Maybe you need to ask somebody, can I pray for you right now and actually do it? You've been thinking about it. You're scared to death about it. You know, somebody said to me this morning, you know, I, I went to community group and I finally talked. Amen. Isn't that beautiful? Somebody talked in community group. That is wonderful. And I know how scary it is. It is scary. To put yourself out there. I, I'm talking too much. Thirdly, there is, is there anything in your life which needs to be refused? This is very important. In order that God may work his greater purposes through you. Right? Listen carefully. Maybe it's a relationship which you need to let go. Maybe it's a relationship of which you need to let go. Maybe there, you have an ungodly union between you and another person sexually financially, uh, or just emotionally. Maybe that person is unhealthy for you. Maybe they're damaging you. You know, all relationships, sexual, financial, emotional relationships, are spiritual things. Whether they're good spiritually or bad spiritually is a difference. And you've got to take that seriously. There's a reason that God calls us to certain standards. And we need not question him. We need to believe him. Maybe it's something private that you need to confess. Maybe you need to trust, you know, a brother or a sister here and have them pray over you and have them hold you accountable to something. Not judge you, but hold you accountable to it, right? Remember, you can never lose your relationship with God, but you can clog the pipes. You can diminish the flow of life. You can miss blessing and joy while living in bondage of sin or temptation and things like that. 
What would God be asking you to put aside so that he might work more in your heart and through you for his purposes? And finally, last question, do you consider the reward ahead of us? Like Moses, do you consider the reward ahead of us as sufficient motivation for adopting Christ's mindset as described in Philippians 2? Right? And you can go read that when you get home today. In other words, do you realize that joy and suffering are twin sisters who live in the same house? That you can't have one without the other. That if you try to avoid suffering in this life, you're not going to get there. You're not going to grow to maturity. If you can walk through it with Jesus, you will be mature. Are you willing to suffer and and risk to see the promises of God come to fruition in your life? Lindley's going to be speaking about the promises of God at the women's retreat. By the way, sign up. Don't miss it, right? So are you willing to take these risks and suffer for these things so that you can see God's purposes come to fruition in your life for for yourself, for your community, for your church, for the world? Because our decisions made in faith honor God. And I'm ending on the bells. Amen. Let me pray for us. And I want to take, I do want to take a moment to consider these four questions. Why don't you read those four questions and pick one that you really want to focus on with the Lord, right? And I'm going to give you about two minutes to think through that. Holy Spirit, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for what you're saying to us. We, we pray that your words, what you would want communicated, would fall on our hearts and our ears this morning. I know every single person in this morning is coming from a different complicated past and a complicated life. And that you miraculously use the words spoken on these Sunday mornings to light on our hearts in only the way that you can. Where you make the word come to life. Not Jason, not anybody else. And so we pray that you would speak right now and that you would communicate what you want to communicate to us in light of these four questions.